Welcome to this episode of C-Suite Interviews, where leaders from across the business spectrum share ideas about how to help organizations thrive. Whether working in the nonprofit, public, or private sectors, you'll hear tips from emerging and veteran leaders that are sure to enlighten and inspire. If you're ready, here's the host of C-Suite Interviews, John Janklays. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of C-Suite Interviews. I'm your host, John Janklays, and glad to be back on the air after a short hiatus. You know, the podcast has been on the air for about two years. We've done 24 episodes, and during the hiatus, we wanted to focus and work on a couple things. Number one, we wanted to continue to bring you compelling interviews with people from across the business spectrum. Number two, we wanted to improve the quality of these interviews, both my interviewing skills and also having the interviews done in person. We think we get a better connection and and a better readout for you by doing that. And we also wanted to expand the frontier of the kinds of conversations related to leadership that we have on the show, which is a great transition to today's guest. Today, we're interviewing Lynn Clark, Lynn is a fifth-generation horseman who is both a farrier and a horse trainer and a stuntman, and we get into all of that during today's interview. I first met Lynn about 10 years ago when my wife Jackie and I established a training facility or ranch in Temecula, California, as part of us pursuing our passion for equestrian sports. Lynn has been a part of helping us train young horses and dealing with difficult horse situations. He's really a master at this. It's through that relationship that Lynn and I began to visit on equine leadership about there's a connection, there's a metaphor between being a leader in equestrian sports and being a leader in business. And that's what today's interview is about. I think you'll see the connections and how powerful they are and can't wait for you to listen to the interview. So if you're ready, put your feet up, grab a cup of coffee, and listen to my interview with Lynn Clark. Hey, Lynn, how are you? Welcome to the show. Great, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you know, this has been great. I have been looking forward to this. By the way, for our listeners, they should know that uh, this episode is coming from my ranch. And ranch is probably the wrong word. This is more of a training facility uh, where we're trying to bring horses up and and Lynn is a, a dear friend who has helped us on our journey. We arrived out here about 10 years ago. And uh, Lynn, you've been responsible for helping us bring young horses along and bring the rider along with it and, and the whole journey. So um, we've got a lot to talk about today. But thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, I'm excited as well. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe a good place to start is um, introduce yourself to the audience. Take three or four minutes and, and tell us a little about, you know, where'd you grow up and what were you into as a kid? And then as you became an adult, how'd you find your way into the many things that you do? Take some time to explain that to us. All right. Um, uh, my name is Lyndon Clark. I usually go by Lynn. And I'm originally from Australia. I was born in Liverpool, which is pretty close to Sydney. And I'm fifth generation in the horses. Um, my, the whole, like my dad's side of the horses um, goes all the way back. And my mom originally was... Um, a professor and now she is actually a farrier as well that's traveled all over the world giving lectures and in the, the horseshoeing and blacksmithing portion of our family. My dad uh, was um, a horse trainer back in Australia, also a farrier. Um, <clears throat> started with Western horses and won Australia in the cutting horse industry as well as a lot of rodeo. 
and then I believe he moved over here for a while when he was 19 for a year, year and a half. He's always tried to progress his skills and become the best he can. And by moving to the United States, it gave him a whole other level of challenges and um, really upped his skill level. And then he moved back to Australia um, and my parents um, got together and my brother and I were both born in Australia. I'm not the brother who's a jumping trainer. He's four and a half years younger than I am. And he's a professional Grand Prix rider and trains horses in the vet in Orange County, California and married to a veterinarian. Her name is Jen. She has two little girls and they love horses as well. Um, so, so this is this is truly a family business. Oh, 100%. Both when you said your mom was a professor, yeah. in what in what subject? Um, well, she she's written a full series of science books. She taught, um, like she did do home economics, but most of it was science based. Um, Get your family has got so yeah. many characters in it who know so many things. So yeah. so you're growing up now. You're in Southern California. The family business is horses. Yeah. Um, how much riding did you do growing up? I didn't do a whole lot in Australia. Um, I mean, when we moved here when I was six years old, I did. I would ride motorcycles a little bit there, but my dad was definitely focused on his training and, and rodeoing in that portion of his life. And wasn't super interested in horses at six. We moved over here to Northern California originally. Um, moved like 12 times in the first 10 years we lived here as we progressed from place to place and then finally settled in Temecula, California. Um, I probably started riding very consistently at 15 years old hmm. um, on and off you know more consistent than most people but but every single day from about 14 or 15 years old before school after school for, for our audience so that you know Lynn is one heck of a rider <laughs> I mean he can handle just about any kind of horse and I've watched you ride all kinds of horses that are nasty not behaving very well to I mean, Grand Prix horses and, and watch you go around with them. Yeah. Um, most recently, you were riding uh, one of our young horses that was coming up, Panacota. Yeah, exactly. And why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, probably us trying to train that horse here on our own, you know, probably would not have been a very good idea. Talk about that a little bit because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, Panacota was definitely a very challenging horse. She was very willing and smart and wanted to learn, but. Uh, super opinionated and had a very strong personality so it was routing that um, into a more focused way to work with us instead of against us because when she didn't like something you definitely knew it yeah 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 we're, we're gonna come we're gonna come back to how your approach to training and all of that but I kind of want to stay on the theme of just your growing up and, and moving into your professional career okay. um, so what does that include so a farrier writer trainer exactly. yeah. so I am um, the I do I have I mean, I've trained horses my whole life, you know, the, uh, working life, I guess I should should say. Um, and then I've been a farrier that started, I, will, I mean, I'm, like I said, fifth generation. So I've been shoeing horses ever since I can kind of hold the tools realistically. Hmm. And um, then I went to Cornell University in Ithaca, New York to the farrier program there. And that was in 2000. And then I've, that's the only job I've ever had is just farrier or is your training of horses. Yeah, so you've been sought out by <coughs> trainers to fix their training issues and Correct. problems. And how did you get that reputation as kind of the trainer's trainer? Well, um, because we're specialists in that area, we focus a lot on training horses, not people. Mm -hmm. And most 
professional trainers also want to teach the, the person and that's where that's where I mean a lot of money is having the consistent repetition of people wanting to learn day to day on how to ride and train a horse and be able to go and show yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know with my brother being a Grand Prix rider and then my wife is also a top dressage rider her name is Nikki Clark and she um, she's tremendous yeah thank she's, you. she's she a great rider a wonderful yeah. person yes. yeah and so because of both of those areas of our life being deeply involved in the high-end performance of, of sport horses then that's where the referrals come from to, to work on horses that other trainers are having issues with yeah so um, farrier trainer to the trainers both in jumping dressage um, also cutting horses yeah some family we do yeah. a lot of it and that's I mean, yeah. a lot of our background is that direction but my dad transitioned into the jumping horses and the eventers solely pretty much about probably 15 years ago I guess yeah very good and then also too you had uh, some unique chapter in your life you were a stuntman for a movie the remake of the Lone Ranger talk a little bit about that how'd you get involved in that and what was your role in that and was it fun was it cool you know talk yeah. about that um, the, the Lone Ranger was definitely a, a crazy turn in in the horse world for me I definitely never worked with Hollywood or anything along those lines Somebody approached us about a horse that we had um, that was a big gray horse that, that could jump and they needed something like that for, for uh, the movie. Okay. Because in the movie they use a few different horses depending on what role they need to place, you know, safe one for the for the actor, one that can do the tricks, one that can do the stunts, that type of thing. Gotcha. Um, so, but then my horse was too big and they saw that I was, I'm, I'm six foot three, and Army Hammer, who was the Lone Ranger, he's six five, I believe, mm -hmm. but they needed somebody that could also jump the horses over, the, you know, down the train, off the trains, and through the trains, and that type of thing. So that scene with the horses coming off the train, that was exactly. some of your work on that. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, okay. so they then, I auditioned for it, um, and got put on, on the movie. And did all of the. I worked with developing the horses. A lot of those horses had only been ridden for a few months before they. Uh, I, I, I remember this time because you were kind of still helping us out here with shooting yeah. horses and going back and forth, back and forth. Was was it Arizona? Where they, it was the shoot was at? We li I lived in New Mexico. That's actually okay. where my son Colton was born. Okay. And um, we moved there. Um, and then it was based out of New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Gotcha. And yeah, I was flying back and forth every weekend I could. Okay. And, um, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Definitely, you know, challenging. So and if the phone rings again, would you do it again? For a while there, I didn't because of, mm. you know, the, I mean, the movie world is crazy. You know, yeah. and the people that are connect, com committed to that are, are, are risk takers in a whole different way. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're just waiting for that phone call. They're just, you know, then they just go for it. And then they wait again for another job. And um, having a family and a son and a wife that I care about, I, I don't have that personality to just kind of wait it out. And, yeah, know, that's so. not that's not all a good yeah, mix. So exactly. cool, so, so cool chapter in your life. That, that's yeah. really neat that you have that. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, yeah. to be able to talk about. You know, Lynn, you did something really powerful for uh, my leadership team. Uh, we're a company that is uh, very successful. But where we're at in kind of our, our point in time in history right now is we have a lot of senior leadership people, but a lot of talented, young, emerging young leaders. 
And we spent two days in Temecula talking about that situation and what we could do to have a new starting point for each one of those young leaders to level up their performance. And the keynote of the two days together is um, we came out to your place and you gave us a demonstration of three different horses at three different starting points mm -hmm. and showed us how you're working with them to level them up in their performance. Um, maybe you could just take a moment and um, tell us a little bit about that day and what you were trying to share with us because it was really a, a powerful metaphor for leadership about meeting somebody where they're at and, and taking them to the next level. Okay, that yeah, was, that, that, yeah. That, was, that, yeah. that was an amazing day. Um, so I, I work with three stages of, of horses, one being pretty established in its knowledge and the direction and its desire to learn, its desire to perform, one a step down from that where it's mm -hmm. now has the desire to learn and the desire to perform, but doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge behind it. And mm -hmm. one that was still learning mm -hmm. the interaction between human and, and horse. Yes. And, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and um, you, know okay. you know what's, Lynn, that's what's striking about that is you did that in a round pen and you brought in each of the three horses and you could tell right away what the orientation was. Yeah. Right, which horse this was, horse number one, two, or three. 100%. What struck me is how you adapted your approach to each one of those. What were you demonstrating between horse one, two, and three to us on that day? I think the, the biggest thing that, was, that I would say happens between each of those stages is going to be the amount of pressure that each horse can handle mm. and where you reward and what you reward for. Mm. You, know, it's, it's, you don't always reward your final goal. You reward the that direction okay um, being able to say thank you or good job or you know or remove some pressure and, uh, off of them is where they have a desire to try harder so this is a great thing that most people who are not around horses might not know heck I didn't know it until you showed me this that it's the re release of pressure that's the reward and here you're thinking about training you might be thinking of spurs and whips and yeah. you know this whole thing so maybe set our audience straight who might not know about horses about the right way to reward and then get them to step up. Yeah, no, uh, um, I mean, there, there's there's time where you do have, you do put the pressure you know on um, to get what is needed accomplished. But the biggest thing is is finding the place to say yes, or you know, that's what we call the, the reward is like where the horse says yes, or or looks to you for mm -hmm. for leadership, looks to you for help mm -hmm. instead of trying to make its own decisions until they have the ability to make their own decisions, and then you allow them to do their job. I love that idea of making decisions. That was something else that was kind of the keynote of the day is uh, you were telling folks the most dangerous thing is a horse that just reacts is not thinking. Correct, and so, 90%. Yeah, so, so your approach is applying pressure, but letting them also think their way through yep. a situation. Uh, so how did you create pressure for the audience? How did you actually do that? Literally just with energy off, mm -hmm. of, off of your body, the, you know, but just by becoming like just bigger inside realistically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you close the, the distance between you and the horse that puts the pressure on. Mm -hmm. And then by backing your distance away, you know, right now we're talking about not being on top of the horse, which is still the way that I train on the ground is also the way that I train on top of them. Mm -hmm. And is, is by keeping pressure on and rewarding and releasing pressure. So when they address the pressure or something that's scary or go forward away from something that they're supposed to go away from, then you take that pressure away, you back off, you remove that object, you remove their fear. As they're addressing their fear, you'll take that away. So with those three horses, so you are applying pressure, helping them think, you're relieving pressure when you're getting 
the response that you want. So the next day, day two, when you come out with that horse, yes. are you thinking about where we left off and now we're going to pick it up again? Or do you start a whole progression all over again? I think I've been doing this for so long that just subconsciously, I just go in and, and I'm just going through, you know, as I go into the stall, sometimes I'll be in the stall for, you know, five or 10 minutes, won't even be out of there because I don't feel like the horse is with me. So I won't even worry about the next step and still until I've established that foundation there and the desire to work and learn and connect with me because without that it's just going to be a fight you know it's just going to be you know a whirlwind of, of struggle well that's being very anticipatory right yeah making a read deciding hey we're not good to go exactly. you know I mean what a great metaphor for leaders to be thinking about before you take somebody into the boardroom or a meeting uh, maybe meet them in their office, and if we're not ready to go, we don't go. If you're not set up for success, yep. something is no the analogy there. Yeah, you know, yeah. it goes back to the same. And then, I mean, as they progress, it's in a whole different deal because we all have to adapt to real life situations eventually. Yeah, yeah. And whether I'm tired, didn't sleep, whatever, I still have to get up and go to work. I still have to perform. I still have to do the best job that I can while I'm there. But my son, if he doesn't sleep, he he trying you know, to take a nap. But yeah, I don't get to go take a nap. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so same thing with the horses. I think that the where you talked about earlier with the ability to recover from their anxiety, like that's what I'm teaching them. I don't want to take away all the pressure to where everything's perfect for them all the time. I want them to be able to adapt to their environment to where they can perform under any level of stress that I'm going to put them under or that life itself is going to put them under. You know, that's probably a good thing for our folks. If you could paint a visual of um, your training areas, they're, they're probably not what our listeners are thinking of. No. Right? So maybe describe that why that's appropriate for helping folks deal with pressure and, and such. Describe I call them. folks horses. Yeah. Exactly. And yes. by the way, for our listeners, yeah. we, we know that people are not horses, right? Yeah. So we just want to say that out loud. But there's just so many parallels in training. Oh, million percent. And vice versa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just describe the environment and why you built it a certain way and what it's to, what it's to accomplish. So at, the, at our ranch in Temecula, um, it is a full on, it's, it's a horse training facility. It's not just a training facility for people. It's, it's to expose horses to every mm. aspect of life that, that, that may challenge them at different times in their life so that they don't get to a horse show or go on a trail ride and they've never dealt with a plastic bag or flags or anything like that. So the place that we worked um, with your team mm. was a covered arena that has a round pen in there. And that way you have a smaller area that keeps the, the desire to run away you know, or to flee um, mm -hmm. the round pen. But then you can open that door up and then they have the, the more room to then deal with that pressure, that desire to, to just get away. Yeah. They, they are flight animal yeah. horses. Um, so the pressure of, of us is, is a lot. Like, you know, in, the, in the wild, if they just hung out with the mountain lion, that's probably not a good idea. So yeah. You know what else struck me too on that day is that so you have the three horses in there. And with one horse, you crack the whip, and the horse kind of takes off. I mean, it sees yeah. it as a threat. But yet the third horse, you were able to crack it, and it just looked at you like, yeah, so. Uh, how did you achieve the difference for those two responses? Why was there a different response there? You would think the whip would just send all horses forward. Well, it does send all horses forward at first. Okay. Um, and so by never using the whip in a negative manner, and it just learning that that's just a noise that is part of life, then... Um, they learn to relax to that. So the way that we establish that is by, by keeping
keeping our distance away from the horse so we're not adding the pressure of being close to them. Mm -hmm. And then you'll, you'll lightly crack the whip until they address their fear and face you or look at you and take acknowledgement of that. And then you'll take the, the you, you'll quit cracking the whip. And yeah. then as they progress through that, you'll keep the crack going until they then walk up to you with it or walk towards you and they can take it away. And then eventually they get to where the whip is a reward, not so yeah. much, you know, a negative sound. Yeah, yeah. So inevitably, if your training is successful, um, you've been working with the horse, you maybe worked with it on the ground and then rode it. Yes. But then there's that important moment where you bring the client or the rider back together with their horse. Correct. Right. And saying, okay, now you're going to be able to do what I've done at some level. Yes. You know? So what's, what have you found is just key in that reintegration of that rider with that horse again or that trainer? What, what, what's important about that? Well, when we work with horses, we're always looking for triggers, obviously, that can send them the wrong direction. That's my job is to try and find what sets them off and reroute that trigger into a more positive manner, mm. um, have them relax in a place that they have fear. Yeah. And then from there have different techniques that the, that the owners or the trainers can get on and you know apply that same aid that then will have the horse feel like it's the same knowledge. Okay. You know, on top, like, you know, in a, in a riding aspect, right. on top or on the groundwork, you know, we'll teach them to, you know, you'll tap them on the neck and they'll put their head down. And that's how we start our, you know, then you're putting the halter on the bridle. So from the get-go, the horse is in a place of connection. This whole routine is all geared exactly. towards you're finding your place of comfort. You yep. know this. Even if it's a little uncomfortable, you can think your way through this. You're okay. Correct. Right? It's kind of that whole whole process. My mind's flashing back and forth between yep. these young leaders that we talked about at our firm and uh, being able to get them acquainted for, you know, areas that could be scary for them. For example, like a boardroom or publicly speaking oh, for, for sure. the whole company, right? Exactly. And there's, exactly. there's all those little steps and moments leading up to that. You wouldn't just take, it's inappropriate mm -hmm. just to take somebody into that kind of environment. It's exactly you know? the same. And I think that's back to that same area. Somebody that's inexperienced, and it's not necessarily inexperienced and hasn't been on enough horses, but inexperienced in thinking like a horse. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people forget where they came from. Mm. You know, everybody at one point couldn't ride a horse, couldn't lead a horse, didn't know how to put a, a halter on, didn't know how to do anything. That's where bad trainers wreck students. Yes. Because they just, they forget and they just start yelling at their students because they try harder, they try harder, they try they harder. Could, yeah. They couldn't ride at one point either. They forget how difficult it is to learn to do that. Yeah. And so the same thing happens with, in training horses and training, you know, so making sure that you're not setting up a scenario the horse cannot be successful in. Mm. And that's that's the most important part, and that's the hardest part to teach, especially trainers. They go mm. out and instantly want their final goal out of this horse mm. and not giving the horse a way out or understanding that it, it's going to struggle also, just like we do through everything, mm. and being aware of that and being fair, and then maybe challenging in one area, but giving freedom in another until all areas are able to be challenged at the same time. Well, I can just tell you as um, a client of yours, I feel really good because I know you are not going to let the horse come home unless we're set up for success. You know, and then you've explained to me sometimes that can be for one client eight weeks, another one is it's going to be 12. Talk a little bit about your role, if you want to call it the safety of this whole situation because it can be pretty volatile. 
Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, de- definitely, I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're big animals and they're dangerous. And you know, even in the safest of situations, they, they can be dangerous and scary. So through that, we, depending on who is going to take the horse back over, is what mm-hmm. they're capable of handling and what the horse is going to be able to handle from that person or that trainer. Um, depending on how ingrained the issue is that we have to work through. Sometimes it might be a very well-trained horse, you know, at the top level, but we have to go back to ground zero and, mm-hmm. and start from there to re reestablish confidence and trust. So until that horse is able to deal with some mistakes from us, because we're all making mistakes, yeah. you know, the horse has to also, by that point, be able to handle like our misjudgment yeah. and know that we're, it was not meant to be or your request to the horse is not clear right exactly. your signal there's your a aid. lot of times yeah. where, where it's actually our like exactly like you said our, our aid is wrong our, our request is, is mm. incorrect from how we asked yesterday or mm. incorrect from where that horse's brain is at at this moment yeah and you definitely have to be able to look inside yourself when there is a problem and that's again where we have to know what that trainer what that student is willing to do so we try and work with them one-on-one with their horse as often as possible. But most people are not wanting to put out that same effort. And that's why the horse is to us in the safe in the first place. Okay. If, if they were willing to put out that effort and try and learn and take responsibility for the issue, there's a good chance it wouldn't be turned over to us. Well, you know, I, that's the reason. As, a, as, the, as the more mature horses, you know, the babies is a whole different deal because that's where yeah. you start establishing the desire to learn. Yeah, yeah, that's appropriate, right? They're babies, they're just starting. It's like, we understand what that's all about, right? You know, Um, I just got to say, I fell in love with the sport because I'm so bad at it. Yeah, right? If you don't think that you're bad at it, then you're you're not doing it correctly forever. This had different language. It had, I'm used to hustle and strength. Yep. And this is about finesse and rhythm and feel and paying attention to somebody else, right? <laughs> it's exactly. a dance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Come to think of it, I'm not a very good dancer. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, that's why I think I went to horses. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, for sure. It's, it's, exactly it's right. like, I mean, I believe yeah. it's like leadership. If you want to be a great leader because your students are going to progress, mm. unless you're progressing as a leader or in your knowledge, then your students are going to surpass you and you're no longer a leader at that point. Yeah, I want to go back to something that you said because, you know, it just strikes me in leadership. So in my role, I have senior leaders and young leaders working. And based on what you're saying, pay attention to this is multidimensional uh, issue here, right? Correct. Where is that other senior leader at in their ability to train, coach? Where is their head at? Do they have a head in the game versus that new employee, that, that young leader who's getting started? And I'm sure there's combinations for you that say those don't go together. Right, or that's very problematic. Definitely, yeah. You know, I, I, I exactly. I think that's there. There's the same thing with with trainers. There's trainers that are great with certain horses or certain breeds or certain, you know, energy levels, and mm-hmm. they, they can't work with the other. But they'll still try to because of I think ego a lot of times. Yeah. And then um, you know, one thing that I really admire about my wife is that she keeps trying to get help. She'll learn from anybody that. that that she can, that she respects, and she'll, it might not always be something that she's going to use in her program, but she'll keep trying to learn and, and get knowledge that she can then transfer it into her clients, into her students, or into her horses. Well, that's a great point. Maybe it doesn't work for her, yeah. but she may be grabbing onto that knowledge going, you know what, I know somebody, that, that would, could really help them. Exactly. Right? One of my clients. For sure. I hadn't thought about that, yeah. that kind of dimension of, of your role and what you do. Interesting. So, hey, I've really enjoyed 
the time just to catch up with you and you know as much time as we're around one another we don't often get to sit down and talk about this dimension of well, what you 100%. do i mean I've, yeah again i think we've planned on this for a long time yeah and you're always working yeah i'm always working yeah and uh, i think as a, as a leader that's the same thing you know we're always we've got to stay ahead of the game well lynn i've really enjoyed this conversation we're coming to the top of our time you know maybe you got a, a few thoughts for our audience before we go yeah, I mean, um, when you guys came, like I said, it really made me break down what my role is as as a coach, as a trainer, you know, yeah. as a leader. Mm-hmm. And I, in order for me to do the best job that I'm capable of is definitely preparing everything so that my my students realistically or, you know, or, or my team are, are successful. Yes. And making sure that I set it up so that they can do their job successfully without feeling um, diminished, you know, feeling like that their, their effort went nowhere or putting them in a position where they're going to make mistakes. Yes. And then really once they feel like they're in a position where they're going to make mistakes, they continue going down that rabbit hole and their anxiety goes up and a lot of the progress we've made is, is, is removed. That day when we came out, you could sense that you were prepared, mm-hmm. right? That the day was set up for success. I mean, everything from coffee was set up and croissants. You took the time with everybody to get them oriented to the space, what the day was all about before we got going. And then you told us what we were going to see, and then we went out and experienced it. I mean, just all that prep was, was really, really obvious, and it made for just a, a tremendous day. So that was, that was a great takeaway for all of us, is being prepared to go. Yeah, well, it yeah. was for me, it, it definitely. I mean, and again, like just like you're talking about as being a leader and, and Without my team, my family, my wife, my son, my dad, my mom, even the guys that work for me, you know, I, I wouldn't have even prepared that the way that I did. You yeah. know, I had to, you know, delegate roles and mm-hmm. have, they have to be wanting me to be successful as well. Yes. And we have to be a team. Yeah. That, that's how it all works. Yeah. That's a great point. How about some other takeaways for us? Um, safety. You know, obviously we're, you know, okay. it's a crazy world period. Yeah. And, and we do our you know, our best to be safe as individuals, but as a leader, um, our job is to prepare the environment or the job to where our employees or our team or our students, or for me with our horses, they're as, as safe as possible. You Absolutely. Know, horses can hurt themselves on anything. Yeah. So that's yeah. hard. You <laughs> yeah. know, and then when you start p- applying pressure and the environment changes, you know, they have to rely on you for a peace of mind also. They have to come and like almost ask you a question like, am I okay here? And as long as they trust in you, you can say yes. And yes. They can find their confidence in you. And even if you're BSing sometimes, but you know that together you can be successful, then that's where it goes. And, um, you know, just knowing where to apply the pressure, where to take it off, where mm. to challenge your your students or your, your employees or your team and then where when you to know when like enough is enough because not being successful and failing is not worth any success yeah you're probably losing ground at oh, that always, point yeah. right yeah definitely yeah you know it, it just i mean just the other day i had someone come and work with their horse and it was their first time working with their horse and it went backwards and i mean it went backwards for 30 seconds and it took me 15 minutes to and i was there yeah you know yeah, to get that all turned around. Yeah. You know, probably overarching all of this, Lynn, I think you have a message too that, that um, whenever we're together, you talk about is the importance of how you take care of yourself. 
and, and with some detail, kind of go through the, the things that you think are important to make sure that you take care of you so you can show up the way you want to. Okay, well, I mean, something that um, my wife did have Lyme disease, and that's where it all realistically was established. Um, I mean, she still has it, but she's in a remission. And so from there, I've always been pretty health conscious, and I've always been very active. That's been, I've yeah. just enjoyed bikes and motorcycles and the horses and all of that anyway. So I've always stayed really active. Yeah. But when you're busy, you know, your nutrition is definitely not mm. as on point as it should be. Um, and so through my wife's Lyme, we had to get very aggressive with, with our diets. So that was, that's where it all started. Okay. And then from there, it gave me a desire to learn more about well-being. Um, you know, I dealt with a lot of anxiety before in my life and, mm. you know, didn't know if it was anxiety or depression or what it was, but something that helped me more than anything besides just being aware and trying to progress also in that like I didn't want to be anxious I didn't want to be depressed even though you find a comfort in that when you're used to it yeah you know it's sleep yeah like when I I just make sure that I get as much rest as I'm capable of getting it's not as much as I should because as a you know somebody that's driven yeah you know if you're resting all the time oh, there's just one more thing you want to do but yeah. I, we're learning so much about how sleep is so important sleep's yeah. everything for it really recovery has changed everything. my whole life yeah you know, like yeah right now I'm actually pretty tired and I can I know where I should be in terms of sanity. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm borderlying on, on that right <laughs> now. I know that I need to get yeah. some sleep. Get yeah. some good food, get some good sleep, get exactly. some rest, yeah. get some and recovery exercise. and exercise. Sure. You know, I, yeah. I work hard and my job is physical, but but without, especially with having my little, my little boy now, yeah. you know, I do seven-year-old stuff with Colton. Not Colton will keep you busy. Yeah, yeah, but it's not the same level of activity that I would have been doing. So I, I need okay. to be more conscientious about going and getting some some honest exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those are all great messages. I mean, from leadership to um, just your own wellness and well-being, and um, those are all really great tips. Lynn, I could sit here and talk to you all day long. Yeah. You've got so much wisdom to impart, and we have so many passions that we share. Definitely. Uh, I just want to tell you, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, so we'll, we'll go ahead and bring uh, this podcast to a close for our listeners. Uh, listen in the show notes for if you'd like to get in touch with Lynn, uh, we'll provide information about how to do that. If you're interested in your firm being able to have the equine leadership experience that we discussed here today, uh, go ahead and reach out and contact Lynn, and, and um, he'd be happy to set that up for you. So um, we'll go ahead and just bring the, the interview to a close. Lynn, again, thanks for being here today. And to all of our listeners, bye Thank for now. Thank you very much. You betcha. Thank you. Okay, bye for now. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Lynn Clark and our discussion of equine leadership. As you were listening to the podcast and you were thinking, you know what, that's an experience that I'd like my leadership team to have. If you'd like to come to Temecula, California, that can be arranged. In the show notes, you'll find contact information for Lynn Clark, or as an alternative, you can contact and ask for information through the CEO Corner, and that's at www.theceocorner.com. Bye for now, everyone. <laughs>